Yeah. So um, John six thirty five. We're gonna kind of hover in John a little bit today, um, and then we're gonna I'm gonna do a comparison of scripture, and we're gonna kind of see what is going on. Um, I'm gonna read from the Amplified because um, that's you know it's a good translation. So I think you'll like it. If you don't, you'll get over it. Um, John six thirty five says Jesus replied to them. He said, "I am the bread of life." The one who comes to me will never be hungry, and the one who believes in me as Savior will never be thirsty, for that one will be sustained spiritually. I like the Amplified because what it does is it, for people who don't quite get it right off the bat, it helps. it's great for parables, because if you don't get it, then you can get it. Sometimes our hearts are not ready to receive, so that little uh, explanation helps our hearts to get into the mindset of receiving from God. So, Jesus used the word I am in that scripture. 20 times in the gospel, he says I am. He's identifying himself as God when he says I am. Because what did he say to Mo- what did God say to Moses when Moses is standing at the burning bush? He goes, Who are you? He goes, I am who I am. And so for a lot of people, they're like, Well, that doesn't make sense. But God, he's like, I'm identi- Jesus is identifying himself. The a lot of the regular people didn't understand that, but he's identifying himself to the Pharisees and scribes and Pharisees can understand who he is. He's saying, I am God. I am God in flesh. I am God incarnate. I am the Son of God. And what he's doing is he's putting the screws to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and saying, try me. But it's a metaphor for his, it's a metaphor for his deity. It's saying, I am God. I am the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. And then he goes, we go on, Jesus, that's the first time he says, I am. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. And this is where we're going to stick with this. John asked me last night, um, he says, what, what are you talking about? And I just showed him the scripture. I didn't tell him what I'm talking about. I just told him, hey, this is, this is where we're going to be at. Um, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Once more, Jesus addressed the crowd. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is identifying himself as the light of the world. He's saying, I am the one who is going to take the sins of the world. You know, if we look at parables, if you don't know what a parable is, a parable is an earthly story about a spiritual matter. You ever read a parable? read it a hundred times and you're still like, I can't grasp it because... We in our human minds need the Holy Spirit to be able to grasp what Jesus is saying in those parables so it can be revelation. There's sometimes I read a parable, I'm just like, why? I've read it before, I've understood it before, but why? what am I not getting out of this? Because parables, when Jesus is talking about those, a parable is never set in stone. He sets himself in stone, but he's, he, we can read a parable and identify so many things about God for ourselves and who God is when we read that parable because he's working through a story to teach us and to guide us and direct us. So it's an earthly story about a heavenly principle. Matthew 5, verses 14. Oh, sorry, can't give you that one. Sorry, I marked it with red and I forgot to read that one. So anyway, um, it's my end. I put things in red when I know I need to end, but... um, Luke 8, 16, Jesus is talking about this. He says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay pot or puts it under the bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand for those who can see it. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be 
brought into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has the will, excuse me, whoever has will to be given more, whoever ha does not have even what they have, they think they will be, will be taken from them. And then we're going to skip down to Mark. Mark replies, and sa or Mark says the same thing. It says, Jesus said this. He said, I am the light. He says, do not bring a lampstand out from under a bowl or a basket. Instead, do you not put it on a stand for everyone to see? He says, whatever is hidden will be, or whatever is concealed will be brought to the open. If anyone has ears, let him hear. He says, consider carefully what you hear. With a measure you use, it'll measurably be given to you, and even more. Whoever has will will be given more. Whoever does not have, even more will be taken from them. What Jesus is talking about here, and he goes on in Matthew 5.14 to say, you are the light of the world. Jesus is identifying himself as the light of the world. Multiple times he identifies himself as the light of the world. Luke, Mark, John, He's basically saying, hey, by the way, I'm the light of the world. He's identifying himself as the only thing that will bring light to the darkness, that will push the darkness back. And so some of the, um, I have a couple different study Bibles, and one of the um, kind of the definition of what was going on there is in, in Mark, it says Jesus is, is using the explanation of what makes good learning conditions. Jesus was previously revealed why some people accept his teaching, why others don't. Light is the truth that Jesus brings. And you should be free to reveal in the secret of the, the gospel. But it will only provide illumination to those who pay attention and come with a deep and desire to understand. Next, Jesus will tell the disciples their responsibility in spreading the gospel. So Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. What he's saying is this, is, he, and when he says, you know, some will have much, some will have little. What he's saying is, do you have ears to hear what I'm saying? Do you have a, a spiritual understanding to get what I'm saying? He said, some will accept my teaching, some won't. Some will just say, oh, he was a nice guy and he loved people, and that, that's pretty much who he was. And then some people will identify. We, we see throughout Scripture, we see throughout the New Testament where Jesus is speaking, and someone comes up to him and says, you're the one that they've been speaking about. You're the son of God. You're the son of David. You're the chosen one. And they have an understanding. Those were the people that had ears to hear and their, their spiritual enlightenment was open to hear what Jesus had to say. They weren't like, who's this dude? The Pharisees thought he was another heretic. The religious leaders of that day saw him and said, oh, he's just more trouble for us. But the everyday person saw, saw him and said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There were people in the, in the temple that knew who Jesus was. There were multiple times you look throughout Scripture and you see there was a, a, a Pharisee, a Sadducee, different religious leaders that said, this is the Son of God. They had questions. They had concerns. But they realized that who Jesus was who he said he was. And Jesus is explaining these conditions to people. It says, your heart, is your heart ready to hear what I have to say? And it goes back to the posture. Is the posture of your heart to the point where you're saying, I'm going to receive from you. I'm going to hear from you. 
or is it I'm coming to talk to you and you're going to listen to me? And, and when, we, when we, we, we posture our heart and our spirit towards him and our heads into the, the place of listening, leaning into what he is saying is when we change. We're like, God, why am I still dealing with this? Because we haven't leaned in and we haven't postured ourselves to receive from him because we're too busy talking to him. God, why do I have this addiction? It's because you haven't leaned into him and postured your heart to receive and to, to, to be able to respond to him. It's because we, we, we tend to, God, why do you do this? Why are you letting this happen to me? Because we, we, we push on with our own will and say, instead of going to God and getting low before him, the problem is, is in our culture, getting low before God is not, is not cool anymore. We want to sing songs about ourselves and what he's done for us instead of who he is and sing about how good he is and his, his character and his kindness to us and getting on our face before God and saying, this is who you are. If, think about this. If, if you never got another financial breakthrough, a health breakthrough, any breakthrough in your life, would you still posture your heart and get low before God in, in worship and in your life and say, I, no matter what you don't do in my life, no matter what you do in my life, would you still get down on your hands and knees and on your face before God and say, I love you just because you love me? Just because of the gift of salvation, would you do that? That's not who God is. He's still going to continue to, to do breakthrough in your life and bless you, but would you still love him if that was the only thing you had was eternity? And he said, your life is going to be hard, your life is going to be rough, but will you get before me and worship me? Jesus keeps saying, I am the light. I am that. Nobody puts a lamp out to, to cover it up. You know, it's, it's so many times it, it, in our lives, we take what God has given us and we cover it up, we conceal it, and we're like, well, you know, I just don't, I don't feel like it's my job to to talk to people, and I don't really want to force my beliefs on people, and, you know, I just don't want to be offensive to people. Get over it. Jesus is offensive. His gospel is offensive. The Holy Spirit is offensive to our culture, to religious mindsets, to religious spirits. It is offensive. And until we grow a spiritual pair, sorry, and choose to become what Jesus was, we need to be mindful of that. Oh, I'm just, I, I, do, I don't talk about my beliefs because I don't really, you know, I have people that I don't, be, that don't believe and I don't want to, you know, hurt their feelings. We have too many people that are sitting in church just sitting in church. They come to get ministered to. And then they put the, the cap back over the light when they walk out and say, oh, my God, I just feel so good about myself. I just, you know, ah, I got what I needed and go back home, eat their lunch, watch football, and that's the rest of their day. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then at the end of that, he says, Matthew, he says, oh, by the way, now you are the light of the world. Jesus is trying to describe this in three different books. You don't put a a cover on a light. You don't do this. You don't do this. You don't do this. He said this. In a, in a bunch of different ways to people so they could understand it. Did they understand it? Probably not. It took the, the, 
their hearts to be postured to be able to understand it. The, the Pharisees couldn't understand it. Certain people couldn't understand it. The disciples didn't understand it. That's why they went to Jesus and said, hey, uh, uh, what do you mean by that? You know, like, what are you talking about? Like, are we putting candles under the bed? What are we doing? You know, it's like house fire. No, he's like, okay, this is what I'm speaking about. And he keeps talking about that. And the Gospels record it so well because rarely do you see the Gospels record all four Gospels have the same thing in there. You know, some Gospels, multiple Gospels will have one thing and they'll have, you know, have a couple here and there. But three out of the four Gospels had the exact same thing. There was importance to this. You know, Jesus is like, don't, I don't give you myself to hide it away. We, think about this. Would you be willing to say, man, God is so good. He saved me from um, depression, anxiety, um, addiction, brought me out of a pit. But you know what? I'm not going to share it with anybody because, you know what? I really like it to myself. But think about that. How many, you know, oh, I feel elite when I have this. I feel like I'm better than other people because I have this. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's like, you don't take what I've given you, a light, who I am, and you don't hide it. He's like, you give it away for people to see. He says, you're a city on a hill. Everybody sees that. But we tend to, you know, oh, I got my 15 minutes of God put the cover back on, go home, come back on Sunday morning, take it off. Look at, look at the light I have. But the neighbors can't see it, co-workers can't see it, the people you meet anywhere cannot see it. Because you've chosen to posture your heart into the way of, well, I'm here to receive from you, God. But posturing our heart and, and getting low before God is how he trains us and how he leads us to take that cover off of what we have to show people who he actually is. And our lifestyles don't always match up. If you're in this room, your lifestyle does not match up with that because we are human beings. We have a flesh that gets out of control sometimes and we get angry and we get frustrated and we say stupid things and we say hurtful things. And we're never going to be like Jesus. We work towards being like Jesus, but we're never going to be like that. We're not perfect. He was perfect. He was God in flesh. But what Jesus is saying to them is, hey, what you have in me, we're not going to cover it up. He's saying, he says in John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the only one that can push back the darkness. But there became a certain point where Jesus started to say, hey, the light that I am is now living in you. When we're born again, that light doesn't, is now living in us, and we are the ones that become a city on a hill. My question to you is, if you went to work and started talking about Jesus, would people be surprised? Would they be like, oh, you, you, you go to church, you follow? Would they be surprised by that? Would it be because the way you talk other places and other times is not that way? And then all of a sudden you're like, well, Jesus this and Jesus that. And they're like, well, you just dropping some F-bombs later or a little while ago, and now you're all talking about Jesus. 
So what Jesus is saying is, if you're a city on a hill, you don't put a cover on it for certain times to make sure you fit in well and then take it off when you get to church and be like, oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord, speaking in tongues. And then you're like, well, nobody heard that. That's not from church. I'm just, I'm being honest. That's, that, but that's how our, what our culture has done is we've made church a thing that we do instead of the lifestyle and the relationship that we have with Jesus. It becomes an activity that we do on a Sunday. And sometimes we skip because the lions are playing at noon. And it can't be that way. It was never designed to be that way. We say, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to give him my all. Well, I was talking to Sarah. I said, you know what? I said, I said if you want to give Jesus your all, like people are like, oh, yeah, I want, to, I want to be like a disciple. I want to be like one of the, the judges or the prophets. Do you realize that Isaiah was sawn in half alive? And we're not talking like this way. We're talking spread right down the middle. He was killed for what he said. The disciples were killed for what they said. They, they found it of more value to serve Christ than, they, than their own life. But Jesus talks about, says, all things hidden will be revealed. And this, this being hidden, what Jesus is saying, he's not saying, oh, everything's going to be revealed. He's saying, there are things that I'm doing that you don't know now that are hidden that are going to be revealed. There's, there's illumination happening in certain areas that are going to come to pass. We like to use that all things hidden will be revealed kind of mentality for, for posting on sin and, oh, this is how it's going to be. And we try to scare people into it and be like, better confess now because it's going to be, you know, that's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, what I'm doing right now, some of this thing is, some things that I'm doing right now are not revealed to you. They are hidden from you, but they will be revealed to you. Jesus is like, you can't see it now, but it is coming. It might be far off, but it's going to be there. And so many times we're like, God, I want to know it all. I want to do it all. And God's like, well, you have to be able to receive it. You ever ask God for something and you're like, oh, I could not handle that. And you're like, I was not ready to receive what you gave me, God, because he's like, well, I'm going to give it to you, but you have to get your posture, you have to get your character, you have to get your lifestyle in line with what I'm doing. And you're like, well, God, I just want this and I want this. And he's like, you're not ready to receive half of what I give you. Yes. What Sarah just said, it says the anointing is crushing without the preparation. You know, Sarah and I were talking, um, we had to take our daughter's dogs home last night, and uh, we were talking about, you know, sabbaticals, and, and um, you know, it's like, we were, we were probably um, more joking about it than anything else, but, um, and we were looking at, we were talking about it and looking it up, and a sabbatical in the, the Jewish mindset was once every seven years you took a, a year off from the field. It was not from work from the field. It was a year of rest for the field. That's a principle our farmers could use now because we wonder why we're, we're growing things that are not healthy anymore because we don't give our, our, the fields time to rest and to repopulate and to regenerate themselves. And we're talking about this and 
a sabbatical was actually considered one day um, for, uh, I'm sorry, what was that? One day a week. Yeah, one day a week. So it's it basically a day of rest, and that's where we get the Sabbath from. Yes, but her and I are talking about, it's like, man, why does everybody we know that is in ministry taking three, four, six months off a year sabbatical? I'm like, like, you just need to get low before God. And like, why are we taking a year off from, from ministering to people for God? Because you know what? We're not in the mindset of getting low before God and receiving from him on a regular basis. That means we, if we can't receive from him now we have to get away from everything else and then go, okay, now, God, I can receive from you. People are like, when, when's, you guys ever take a sabbatical? I'm like, we don't take a week off. We had like 15 years ago, somebody goes, how do you guys do this every week? I said, it's the anointing of the Lord, but we just let God do what he needs to do. And I want to encourage you is just because you feel like you can't do it doesn't mean, there's times where we've, in ministry, we've been like, oh, man just tired. But God steps in, God comes in, and he puts his foot in the door and says, oh, by the way, you invited me in, I'm stepping in today. And so, taking a rest is great. But saying, oh, you know, this one person we knew, they're like, well, I'm just taking a sabbatical from church. I'm like, that's not how that works. That's not how that sabbatical means you're taking some time to rest, not not going away from the body. It means you go rest before God, have God minister to you, Elijah took a sabbatical. God, he took a sabbatical on his own. God didn't say, hey, take a sabbatical. He, he took a sabbatical because he was afraid. And I think what God was doing, he says, okay, you're taking a sabbatical, but I'm going to minister to you and kind of tell you why you were a sissy. Um, well, I mean, think about it. The guy calls fire down from heaven. God, God answers. He kills 400 prophets of Baal. And then some chick's like, I'm going to kill you. My wife has said that a couple times. I haven't run from it. <laughs> I'm joking. She doesn't want to kill me. But I'm just like. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But think about this. The problem was is this. Elijah took a sabbatical because he was afraid and didn't have his heart postured before God to receive. God empowered him. He called fire from heaven. God answered. I mean, if you get that alone, I'm like, that's enough to last me a long time. Like, God, right there, boom. And all of a sudden it comes down. Then he gets rid of the uh, prophets of Baal. He brings Israel back into repentance and then the chick's like you know oh by the way then the spirit of the lord comes upon him and he runs faster than a chariot to get back to town and he's like hey beat you and then and then jezebel's like i'm gonna i'm gonna get you i'm gonna kill you and he's like at that moment he's like oh i need a sabbatical <laughs> the problem was is this is he went empowered by god to do every one of those work and at that moment he chose to stay out of what God was saying instead of hearing what God was saying for that situation. When Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you, he should have been, God, what do you want me to do? You want me to shove her off a cliff? You want me to shove her out of a tower? You know, let's just perpetuate what's going to happen in the future. I'm joking. That's what he put. But what I'm saying is, is this, he's, he, instead of standing firm in what God had told him to do, 
all of a sudden he got fear. Fear is a great motivator for the opposite direction of where God is telling you. What are people going to think? What are people going to say? What are they going to do to me? You know how many times I've been threatened for preaching the gospel? People showing up like, oh, I'm like, you don't like that I, I read out of the Bible and that your life didn't line up. You, well, you called me promiscuous. I said, no, the word called you that. And I can't help that it says that. I'm just reading the word and they're like, well, you can't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say you were. I just said you felt conviction because I, I read the word. And this mom shows up and she says, you can't tell my daughter that. I'm like, I can't read the Bible to her? We can't preach? And I'm like, no. I'm like, this is not me saying anything. You take offense to what the gospel says. I could have said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I could have cowered and said, oh, oh, we, don't, we, we won't talk about a subject like that with youth. Do you under, mo, few of you have been in our youth group. Jade, Jordan, Mercy, Jared was for a while. You remember. Did, did we hold any punches back? No, we didn't. But you know what? That's the thing is when you hold back on the gospel, you instantly go, I'm going to tailor it to you. I'm going to make it comfortable for you. I'm going to cater to you. And I'm going to hold my hand in front of that light just says, oh, is this too bright for you? I'm so sorry. Is this, is this hurt to your feelings? I'm sorry. Let me put a hand in front of this light. Let me cover it up. Because when we do that, we water it down. We make his grace cheap. We make his, his um, sacrifice for us cheap. When we cater to man, when we cater to man and manipulate the gospel to make their feelings feel good, we take what Jesus has done and say, it's only good if it's not offensive. I'm offended by the, the scripture when I read it because my sin in my life doesn't like it. The natural flesh part of me reads it and goes, nope, don't want to do that, but I have to. And that's where we, Paul says, I basically punch my flesh, smash my, smack myself in the face to get myself in line with what the Spirit is doing. To get myself in line with what the Word of God says, what the Spirit of God is telling me, instead of me going, I'm going to do what I want to do. The problem is, is we have too many people that are three-year-olds throwing a fit on the ground spiritually because they don't want to do what God is asking them to do, and they're like, I was offended by church. The gospel is offensive to our flesh, and when our flesh is out of line, it doesn't go where it should. It's like a rudder. Back and forth, back and forth. And when our flesh is out of control, it leads us into places that we never want to go. For one moment, it's like, oh, yeah, that was great. And then you're like, what did I do? Where did I go? How did I lead myself down that path? So Mark 4.25, as Jesus says, a lamp is not brought out to be put under a basket. And, and the footnotes here are cool. I love what it says. It says, the person who has is the one who is the receptive to the word while the one who does not have is the person who is blind to, to and has rejected spiritual truth and godly wisdom already given to him. 
As a result, even what little he had previously understood about Jesus will no longer be clear to him. Jesus said, do you have ears to hear? Jesus spoke to the church in Revelation and said, hey, you're doing good here, you're doing bad here, this church doing good, this church, you really need to clean it up. He's, you know, he's giving words to the church, and what he does in our own life, he gives words to us. He says, do you have ears to hear me? Do you have hearts postured towards me? Do you want to live for me? Are you going to be the light of the world? There was a commissioning in Jesus when he, he didn't just say, oh, hey, by the way, you're salt and light, and you're the light of the world now. There was a commissioning when he said that to them. He said, it's not just me. He said, while I'm on earth, and he said, in John 9, 5, Jesus says this, as long as I am on the world, I am the light of the world, living, excuse me, giving guidance through my word and works. So Jesus said, and John, I am the light of the world while I'm on the earth. But there was a commissioning and a, and a, and a handing off to us. And he said, oh, by the, by the way, I'm no longer going to be on the earth, but now you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. So he hands responsibility off to who? His followers, his disciples, the people that, that cho- acknowledged him and gave their life to him as the Messiah. So we have a responsibility, not just a, oh, well, you know, I'm a Christian on the weekends until the Lions play, and then i got to get home by 12 because if, you know, or you got that little radio. I used to know this guy. I used to bring a radio to church and run it up his sleeve and have a little earphone, and he just always looked like he was just, you know, you know, really leaning in on it, and he always had, had a headphone in his ear listening to the football game while he was at church because he didn't want to miss the football game. I mean, I got to give him some credit for like a, a really unique design of running it down here and, you know, probably had it tucked into his Bible and, you know, whatever. But yeah, cut out his Bible, put the radio in there, you know. It's like I'm going into the prison. No, um, but when our hearts are postured towards him, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter if the football game's going on. It doesn't matter if life is falling apart. It doesn't matter if all hell breaks loose around us. It's, God, what do you want? A, po- a heart postured towards him is, God, what do you want? Asking him, not telling him what you need. There are times we go to God and we in prayer and we ask him for our needs. He, he asks us to do that. He says, come to me with thanksgiving and praise, but ask what you need. Bring your petitions, your requests to me. I mean, think about this. If somebody, if everybody in this room brought all their petitions and said to Jordan, I need you to do this, how overwhelming would that be in like two minutes of people bringing petitions to you? It's so overwhelming because in our humanness, we don't understand that. But God, who is God, he says, bring all your requests, your petitions, your wants, your needs to me. But our hearts should go to him in the, in the mindset and in the heart condition of, God, what can I do for you? How can I minister to you? How can I praise you? How can I? The flesh tends to, to get into involved in our, in our daily Christian walk because it tends to be, we're just natural that way. We instantly go to God, God, I need this, I need this. 
instead of going to God and say, hey, good morning, what can I do to minister to your heart? What can I do to encourage you? It's not that God needs encouragement, but he just wants us to be that part of the relationship. He wants us to be the reciprocal part of that relationship of communication instead of us just communicating to him and waiting for something to happen. He wants us to go say, what do you need from me today? What can I do for you today? How can I bless you today? Our job is to bless God, not for him to bless us. But we always focus on the blessing that we receive instead of the how we can bless him, how we can worship him, how we can thank him for what he's doing. Our modern culture has turned worship songs into the me song of what, what he's done for me. And I, I'm not saying we don't thank God for what he's done, but when worship songs start to turn, turn self-focused instead of God-focused, we start to lose the plot. We start to lose what God was actually doing when he sent his son in the overall plan. And sometimes we lose the, the, the direction of where God is leading because we start to focus on the self of, of worship. How many of you guys have ever been singing a song about God and you're like, God, I really need this from you. And he's like, can you just shut up for five minutes and just talk to me and worship me instead of talking to me about what you need all the time? And I'm not saying he doesn't want to listen, but I'm just saying is sometimes we have to, when we're in worship, that's why we look for songs that talk about God, not what he has done for us or not what, who we are. When a song is about us, that is not a worship song towards God. That is a self-centered pop radio Christian song that was sang by a Christian. And, and I'm not saying it's bad, but worship should be this is who God is. This is who your character is. This is how you move. This is who you are. And praising him, not what do I need. When we come to the altar, we give up. We say we give up our own life. We give up our will and we give our life to Christ. It says you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So he's given a, a, a huge price for us. But as soon as we're saved, we're like, okay, now, God, how do I get, what do I get out of this deal? What can I see? What can I touch? What what can I physically get out of this deal with you? And it's not about that. First thing we we did is we gave up our life because we're bought with a price. Our first job is to minister to him. The next is to minister to other people. Do you realize we're last in this deal? We give up our lives. That means we sacrifice ourselves. It's not about us. We give up our lives to him. Paul, what did he say? I'm a slave to what? Righteousness. I'm a slave to righteousness. That means he says, it, it, it guides me, it leads me, it tells me where to go. It binds me. I'm bound to it. I can't get away from it. So when we're born again, our first job is minister to God. Second is to minister to other people. We gave up. We, we were supposed to give up our, ourselves. Just as Jesus sacrificed himself, we have to sacrifice ourselves. Our wants, our needs, our emotions have to be given over to him and say, God, what do you want? Not what I want. Not what I need for the day. It's what do you want for the day? And too many times we we sit down and we're like, God, dear Jesus, can I just have this today? And, And you know what? Instead of say, instead of in the beginning of our morning saying, God, Thank you for what you're doing. Opening his courts with thanksgiving and praise. We instantly go, 
rattling the gates, give me this, I really need this today, come on, and, and we, don't, we don't facilitate the relationship. How many of you guys who are parents have a lock on your door? Not just because of pri for privacy, for marital things, but just because your kids are annoying sometimes, you just need to get away and sit in bed. Dustin's over there like, I got four kids, and they're all under the age of 12. Uh, <laughs> do you, Lana, there you are. I love you, girl. She is, she's notorious. She'll, she'll, like, we'll be in bed, and we're like, I just don't want to get up now. All of a sudden, we'll just we'll hear this. Rattle, rattle, rattle. She'll just twist the knob. And she doesn't say anything. Doesn't say, Mom, Dad, you guys awake? We're just laying there like, and you just hear rattle, rattle, rattle. You do. You respect the doorknob. Yeah. This one picks the lock. Yeah, this one picks the lock. Yeah. Yes. But too many times we don't go to God. We stand at the door and we rattle the handle. We're like, let me in. I need something from you. Instead of knocking on the door and say, thank you, good, kind, loving God who took away my sins, who gives me joy, who gives me peace. You are holy, you are mighty, and your name is above all names. We're like, I need my daily whatever. Give me what I want. That is not being the light of the world. Being the light of the world says, I'm going to give up myself like Jesus gave up of himself. I'm going to give of myself the way that Jesus gave of himself. You know, I always love it when, um, you know, especially working with youth in the past, they're always like, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm ready to die for Jesus. And they get a sliver. They're like, oh, Jesus, why'd you do this to me? I'm like, like come on. Like, you're, you're a little overzealous there, Junior. Um, but they have a desire to serve God. They just don't have the understanding of what God asks of them. They just think, I'm, I'm born again. I'm just going to serve God, and that's great. But the maturity comes when they, have to re they realize that, oh, you love God, but now you have to give up of yourself. You know how hard that is as a teenager to be like, I got to give up what I want to do? I mean, humans is hard enough, but teenagers is even worse, I think. Like, I remember watching youth kids, like, just being overzealous, and they're like, they love God, but I'm like, you're going to get yourself killed just for pure stupidity, not for the gospel. I'm like, you're not going to change anybody. You're just going to run into traffic head-on because you're, you're not paying attention to what God is doing. And Jesus says, when you're the light of the world, that means you give up yourself. You give up yourself because what it is is this. It's illuminating every, everything for everybody to see. Not, oh, I can see what I want to see. I can do what I want to do. It's not hiding in a dark room with a little flashlight going, Where, what do I need? What do I get out of it? Jesus says, you are on a lampstand on a hill for everyone to see. That means your life should shine for everybody to see. Pushing back the darkness. You guys ever been in the dark and it's like a really dark night? Jordan's not. No, you've never been. Yeah, Jordan's afraid of the dark. Um, you're ever in the dark and it's the moon's gone, there's no stars, and it's just dark. And you feel like, I can't see anything. It's like pitch black, you feel like you can't see anything. And then the, the moon just comes up behind the clouds just a little bit. 
and just a little bit of light shines and it feels like you, you've seen everything. It, like it illuminates everything. The smallest light in the dark will push back the darkness. But we try to be the bat signal in the middle of the darkness instead of saying God saying, hey, I need you just to be the little light on the hill for everyone to see. The thing is, is you put a small lamp on a stand and it sits high enough, people can see it for miles. In the dark, people can see it for miles. But being that lamp requires something. It requires sacrifice. And it's hard sometimes to sacrifice. Sometimes it's that God's asking you to give up stuff and it's like, I don't want to give that up, God. But he's like, when you give that up, that light shines a little brighter. When you give that up, the stand becomes a little taller. When you give that up, the hill becomes a little taller, a little brighter, a little brighter, a little brighter. And then eventually, people are drawn to it. When we start, that it's a little bit lighter. You know, it's just like a little light, and you're just like, yep, all right. Barely keep it on, it's burning your finger. By the time you've given of yourself, and you give up your plans, your dreams, your hopes, and say, God, do with it what you want. I give it to you. If you want me to have it, like Sarah and I, we talk about things. It'd be nice to have this and nice to be able to have this. And it's like, you know what? But if God wants us to have it, he'll give it to us. It's not about what we want. It's not about our hopes, our dreams. It's about what God has asked myself, my wife to do. And our kids have given up for that. But they've been blessed because of that. We haven't had to drag our kids by the back of, by the, back of the neck to church. We've just done it as a family and they've come along with us and their lives for giving up on things god has blessed them because of it and that's the way it is god will say if you give me your life if you sacrifice what you want your desires i'm going to give you what you want but while you're going along that trip it's not going to be instantaneous it's going to be that moments of god showing up saying oh my gosh god thank you so much for blessing me but it's not people going out looking for blessing it's people going out looking to bless god when we look to bless God, it comes back to us eventually. But when we go to look to God for blessing, and that's the only thing we want from him, he's like, I don't even know you. You're just some dude rattling the cage saying, hey, give me, give me what I want. And God says, if you come into my gates with thanksgiving and praise, humbly bring your hearts low before me, kneeling. What does it say? It says in Revelations that the elders will cast their crowns before, for, before God. That means... The people who have position and authority are giving themselves lowly to God. Say, I am a servant. They cast their crowns, basically saying, you are king, our crowns mean nothing anymore. Our lives should be before God, kneeled before God, in submission to him. Not, well, God, I hope you come along in this, this ride that I'm going on right now. It's like that stupid song, Jesus, Take the Wheel. It's like, Jesus ain't taking the wheel. You're just going to crash if you let go of that. I'm like, just people, don't be stupid. It, the problem is, is they're like, they're like, Jesus, take the wheel. No, it should be God directing you on what you do. I heard a pastor one time. He said, you know what? You always have those moments where you're like, God's with me. God's with me. And you're like, Jesus, stay in the car. I'm going to go deal with this myself. You know, you have that argument and you're like, I'm going to go deal with this. Jesus, you stay here. I'll be back to talk with you later. Because we don't want to submit ourselves and our wills to him. 
our wills have to be submitted to him in every situation. Am I submitted to him in every situation? Am I? No, I'm not. Am I? No, no. My kids can tell you. My wife can tell you. I'm looking at my family because they know me best. I'm not. In every, um, every part of my life, I am not. In a lot of parts of my life, I am. And I'm learning how to submit myself to him in a different way every day. And it's a growth. It's never going to be instantaneous. It, some things in your life will change, change like that. Other things in your life, God's like, I'm growing your character to become like me. Come here, girl. <laughs> get up here, girl. Yes, get up here. Grab, grab. <laughs> here, I don't even think it's on, but we'll just go. Yes. There you go. It's on now. Here, right here, right there. living like Jesus redeemed us on the cross, really believing that we are and walking in the truth, making it a part of who of who we are. Um, and like I kind of pictured the cross like within us, like seamlessly apart. Sorry, I'm like shaking. <laughs> um, pictured the cross like seamlessly a part of us and that um, we need to remember like what he's done and carry it everywhere we go and that it would influence everything we do. Yeah. Okay. All right, good job. So I'm going to finish with this. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He has commissioned us. He said, go out and make disciples of all nations. He commissioned us to be the light of the world. He said, we are the light of the world. We are a representation of Jesus Christ on this earth. The best that we can do is to sacrifice ourselves to him, give up ourselves, our will, our mind, our emotions to him and say, what you want me to do, I will do. That's how we become the light of the world. That's how we draw in the people that are looking for God. That's how we push back the darkness, is saying, it's not my will. What did he say to his father? He said, if you can take this cup. He didn't go and say, you better take this cup from me right now. If you don't, I'm going to be so mad. No, he said, Father, if you can take this from me, if you can take this from me, if you choose to, But if you don't, it's not what I want, it's what you want. And that is where it starts. It is not what you want, it is what he wants. It is what God wants. And when we align ourselves with him, it becomes powerful. We become that spark, we become that flame, we become that bonfire, we become that pillar of fire set on a hill for people to see. Let's pray.